Hi, welcome back to the Not Even Being Serious podcast. Uh, it's been a few weeks. We've gone on our holidays. We're back now, and we have a special guest. Um, it's all the four of us, the usuals: myself, Harry, Aaron, Paolo. And today we are joined by an old friend and somebody very special to us, G. Hi. Hello. And uh, we're going to be focusing on you today. Um, tell tell the world a bit about yourself. Okay, Harry, 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 and Aaron have known her the longest. You fill people in. I mean, I think the thing I love about Georgia is is kind of like what you see is G. What you love about G is what you see is what you get, and I and I really value that in a person. Like, there's no there's no lies, there's no backstabbing. She's very bubbly. She's open, and she's intelligent. Yeah. I back pretty much hit that on the mark. Thanks. <laughs> I feel really happy right now. Yeah. Paolo, you, you met her later on. Yeah. So everything Aaron said, really. I just remember when G, G was so much smaller than her head when we were in kids. Just. And then Fanel started to call me Megmind. I mean, you were that guy. Yeah, no, but in this no, but in this defense, uh, hang was on, really, like it was big. really unproportionate. It was, it was just, just, it just didn't match. It's they big like, now. They actually thought I had a condition. When I was <laughs> 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 they tested me for this thing like hydrocephalus, which is like when like you get like fluid in your head and it just kind of keeps growing. I didn't know that. And they thought that I had hydrocephalus. I think she's gonna head. tell you. It was so massive from um, my body. Jesus Christ. Did it ever like throw your balance off? <laughs> <laughs> Everything is. I'm not even going to answer that question. <laughs> She's not denying it. <laughs> <laughs> I was that guy. Oh, I was. No, I was you're a horrible guy. massive cunt, to be fair. I was bad when I was younger. There's yeah. that one story you that we're not allowed to say. What? 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 <laughs> what? what? <laughs> Did I kick her or was no, it like a trick? No, you actually trip? like kicked her, and I got so angry at you. I you don't, don't remember this. I don't remember this. Like, like, something in me was got really angry because you like because she was annoying you, and you just went. You kicked a little girl. You know what? It, it, it's ringing a bell. <laughs> and I had to. We had to like sit down and have a chat about it. Me and you, or like me and your me, parents. Me, you, and um, misophically. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so Georgia, tell us your story. Well, <laughs> right from the beginning, please. Uh, right from the, well, we got the beginning part. <laughs> First off, I know you guys know, but I'm a medical student um, in the UK, and my backstory I think makes me a better medical professional. Um, and what I went through when I was younger, I think, made me want to do medicine and then also well not want to do medicine but exposed me to it exposed me to the medical field in general oh, how do you appreciate it in a way um i'd say like well none of my none of my parents went to university right um my dad had an apprenticeship and then my mom just never went just because like it was how he did it um so first generation going to university <coughs> I was just thinking about stuff that was fun. I didn't really think about like profession in a sense. I just thought, okay, yeah, I'll get a job and that'll be it. 
And then I saw like, oh, people are applying to be doctors. That's, that might be okay. I'm good at science. And then I think when I got sick, it made me appreciate like not only the academic side of medicine, but the interpersonal part. So like how, I don't know, you need to make a good relationship with your patients to be a good doctor. And I realized that some doctors are really bad at that. Some doctors are really good at that. And I thought that I could do a good job at it myself. It's a fine line, I guess. Mm. You were in, um, before you got sick, I remember when it came to, we were, because we were picking our, not our A-levels, our GCSEs around that mm -hmm. time. I remember you used to really like, correct me if I'm wrong, but you really liked English and you liked, um, you really, you're really into your fashion. Mm -hmm. And before craziness, it yeah. was, you were sort of tending towards that direction. Yeah, I didn't even do triple science. Mm. I was, I didn't do triple science. I hated math. That's crazy now that I think about it. And the only reason I didn't want to do triple science was just because I wanted to do fun subjects. I had no, like, I guess I didn't have the determination when I was younger. And I think having cancer gave me that, made me realize that you can't just sit and slack away, slack away through life. I think. I'll still tell people. Like I've always been a good student, it's not yeah. that. I've always had great grades. Um, but I guess I became unfulfilled with the idea of having a fashion career. And I know that's not for everybody, like as in some people would really love that career. But um, I think being sick made me think that. That's not really what I want to do. Yeah, and but before you got sick, you grew up. You were born here, born in Cyprus. Uh, you uh, you stayed here until you were uh, 13, 14, 14, and then you moved for like a year. Yeah. And came back, and then that's it. I got sick. Um. Is that is that what what do you remember the most before before you got sick? Mm -hmm. Um. You had like we, you had like your world was this, like it was what it was up until that point, yeah. And then, and then massive change, and then now you are who you are. Mm -hmm. But what do you remember the most about that part? Like the massive change before, before, yeah. I just remember being a teenager, having fun, going with the fly. I was a good student, I found school quite enjoyable, easy. Uh, no hardship in my life before that. Yeah. I think I just remember being obsessed with sport, running, uh, gymnastics, sports riding. Oh yeah, that was a thing. Singing. And then I had, you know, like just personal dramas with my friends and that was it. Too many I know, I don't even want to talk about that. <laughs> I used to tell them, I don't want any drama. I bring it a drama every month. <laughs> so, you got sick. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, tell us that. what exactly and how. I feel like we've gone on a real tangent. <laughs> no. No? We, we kind of, we, we get we sidetracked a lot. There. Yeah, yeah, we get, but we, we kind of... We can't try to. Okay. Yeah, so. Wait, how. What, 
age were you when so it happened? For everybody listening, um, when I was 15, I got diagnosed with osteosarcoma, which is a aggressive form of bone cancer. And um, very out of the blue, no symptoms, and no, you know, well, no long-term symptoms, uh, other than the fact that for around three years beforehand, I just kept getting a small twinge of pain in my knee every six months, usually after a track and field competition, which anyone will know is quite normal. Like, you know, you don't get pain in your knee and think, oh, cancer, cancer playing <laughs> up. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was 15, came back from Australia, living in Australia, where I actually went to the doctor and said, um, my times in track and field are quite, like, they're slower. Um, I, and I don't know what's happening. My coach thinks that I'm slacking and that I should be taken off the special sports program at school. Um, at the time, my school was giving me a sports scholarship. Oh, wow. And um, he phoned my mum and was like, she's slacking, she doesn't care anymore. I don't think she should be... Um, a part of the program and I went to the doctor because I did want to do it I just couldn't like I don't know what was going wrong and he told me that it was just growing pains that needed crutches Mm, Um, and told me to keep taking anti-inflammatory so like ibuprofen so you're a medical student now yeah what he did was it the right move I think he underestimated how much pain I was having and I think because pain is very subjective I just said oh I'm getting pains when in reality I think um, if he knew how much pain there was he probably would have referred me for an x-ray but he didn't refer me for an x-ray and he said it was growing pains and to keep expecting the pain to happen. I feel like the the first thing that any doctor would do is get an x-ray, like regardless of how much pain you have. I guess it depends what system you're in, because I think if I was in Cyprus, I probably would have gotten an x-ray. We have a private health system, Um, they have the money, and you pay for any health care that you get. In Australia, it's it's a similar system to the NHS. They have a certain number of x-rays that they're allowed to order. So if a 15-year-old girl comes in with pain in her knee, she's an athlete that trains every day. You're not exactly going to go send her for an x-ray, are you? You're going to say, you know, exactly. And I was really tall for my age. If you think about it, guys, I was this height when I was 15 years old. I haven't grown because of chemotherapy. I was tall, you know? It's normal to think it was growing pains. Yeah, okay. Um, And then a year and a half later... I went for a sleepover at my best friend at the time, her house. Still in Australia? No. No, no, this was in Cyprus. Okay. I fell asleep, middle of the night. Um, I woke up with hallucinations and I was like clenching my hands. I had a really high fever. I thought I had killed somebody, (laughs) apparently. I was saying, oh oh my God, I've killed someone. And obviously scared the absolute crap out of my friends um and 
had really bad pain in my knee and it was red and hot and we put like Vicks <laughs> on my knee because we thought it might help. Doesn't that warm it up? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so basically making the inflammation even worse. Because we thought it would be muscle pain from all the training I was doing. And then the next morning, my dad was like, okay, I'll take you straight to the A&E because we thought, oh, maybe I fractured something in my knee. And like, I don't know, because I, I did a lot, you know, it wasn't, I fell off a horse actually nearer the time as well. Um, and I fell onto my knees um, oh. while doing jumping. So we thought, oh, maybe it was that. Um, and the doctor actually didn't tell me, he told my dad, he pulled my dad to the side and said that they found a humongous tumour. Or what looked like a tumour. Um, in my knee. After the x-ray. In my leg. Hmm? After an x-ray. This was like after an x-ray at the A&E. And how old, how old was you? Um, I was 15. Did your dad tell you straight away? No. They... He pulled my dad to the... So Cyprus is considered a very paternalistic society. In the sense that... So paternalistic medicine is when the doctor tells you what to do. So the doctor is in charge of your healthcare. There is no relationship there. It's about what they think is best for you and you do it. Um, which is not the type of medicine that we are taught in med school. Um, so at the time being 15, he didn't talk to me, which I think was wrong. Talk to my dad. Um, I'm not really sure why, but yeah, so he talked to my dad, my dad was like, okay, Georgia, let's go, and I was like, what's happening, are they going to give me crutches, what's wrong, what happened, got in the car, they found something in your leg, and you need to go to the children's hospital in Nicosia. I asked, what is it, is it a cyst, and then I thought, is it a tumour, and he was like, it looks like a tumour. Did, did they say how big it was or? You could see it. So it's pretty. You could pretty... see like loads of nurses and people looking at my x-ray actually. I'm just being like. Geez. And I was just like, what are they looking at? Is that mine? Because they looked very like. Shocked. Concerned. Excited. Excited. <laughs> Not excited, but like they were all very interested in it, which now as a student, I can't understand. Like, right. Obviously you feel terrible for the patient, but it's quite uh, fascinating <clears> to see <throat> such a large tumour on an x-ray, like it's a rare opportunity mm. in a sense, I know that sounds bad but no, it makes sense. So what was the next step? How did, like, uh, how did you start dealing with it? Put it into a short story, uh, found the tumour, a few days later I went to Magario Hospital in Nicosia and uh, he, the doctor, I remember the doctor telling me like, it could be a number of things, we don't want to worry you, but I knew, I knew it was cancer. And what's weird is the night before I went, um, or like a few hours before I went to the hospital, I said to my mum, what if it's cancer? And we just laughed. Like my mum started laughing, she was like, oh you're being so silly. And that's weird for me, like, that I said, what if it's cancer? 
Maybe it's just trying to ease um, the nerves. But you don't think it's cancer. Like, who would think it's cancer? But for some reason I said, what if it's cancer? And it was. Um, and then we went to Germany, did some biopsies. The surgeon looked at me, didn't even examine me, didn't look at my x-ray, just looked at me walking in, or not walking, but like crutching, like with my crutches. And he was like, osteosarcoma. Is it a common thing? So, no. How, how did he know without... He just knew it. Your knee was, was it fucking massive by the size of a melon. Jesus. And it, like, I'm a very, like, small, petite person. So. Yeah, like, like me. I see it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Sorry, continue. You're going to have um, to drop the fat. Cancer, yes. Uh, biopsy confirmed. Osteosarcoma. Didn't cry. Just was like, well, what's going to happen? And then chemotherapy, three months. Surgery to remove it have an internal prosthesis it's called so it's kind of like when someone gets their leg amputated and puts them at, like obviously they have a prosthesis so if you can imagine the in, like the prosthesis right so with the metal mm -hmm. I've got that but inside my leg instead of having to have an amputation right. so they remove some muscles make so you've room. got a fake real leg I've got a fake leg but it's attached to bones at the distal and proximal ends, like as in I've got the top of my femur, the top of my like thigh bone, yeah. and I've also got the bottom of my leg, like my tibia and my ankle, I've got that, but I haven't got up, like from my tibia right up until my femur, that's all metal in my bone. And they removed four muscles. And then that was it. And then I had another six months of chemotherapy and another ten months of immunotherapy, which I was lucky enough to go to the UK for because they don't offer it here. What's, in, what's immunotherapy? It's like, uh, to explain it, it's like they boost your, they make your immune system hyperactive by putting, um, like, so you know when you get sick mm -hmm. um, and you have bacteria basically, and it gives you a bit of an infection, like systemically, and then your body attacks it with their immune system. Well, they did that synthetically to make my immune system hyperactive to um, certain cells, like cancer cells, to attack any cells that may have, like tiny cells that could have come off the tumour and spread. So that was oh. to prevent like it going anywhere else. Okay. And had um, had the the cancer mainly been in in your in your leg, or had it been seen anywhere else? Um, I well, I mean, when I was diagnosed, I had a few like calcified like white things on my lungs, but it could have been cancer, or it could have been nothing like. Mm. I'm sure if you did an x-ray on some, like any of your chests, you might have one of them from like a previous infection when you were younger. Um, but no, as far as we know, it hasn't spread anywhere. Um, but it did spread from bone to bone. So from my thigh bone to my knee, if that makes sense. Mm. So that was considered like a metastasis in a way. 
because right. it had spread from bone to bone, also outside of the bone. It wasn't only the bone, it was the muscles. That's why they had to remove it. Right, okay. Yes, and then I've been all good since then. But after two years of long very long, hard journey. What was the hardest bit for you? That's hard. Yeah. Hard question. Mm. Chemotherapy, I'd say. Hardest part. So a good part of the year. That was really hard. Jeez. How, how did you deal with having, like, knowing you were going to lose all your hair because, you know, a lot of people really struggle with that? I didn't really mind. You were good with it? You knew it was just I was just like, okay, it. it's hair, it's going to grow back. I um, think you were quite positive with it, if memory is Yeah, yeah I, but I only thought I was going to lose my hair. Like, I didn't think I'd lose my eyebrows and my eyelashes, I didn't think of that. Mm. And I think it's when you lose your eyelashes and your eyebrows that you really feel like an alien. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, my cousin, like, one, of, I was one of my best mates, like someone that was actually there for me throughout the whole thing, he'd call me alien. Like, he'd be like, oh, you're an alien. How's it going? How is this time? So this was from 2014 to like 2017 when you were told that you were clear? 2015 to like halfway through 2016. Okay. So about a year and a half process and like, yeah. And, and when, when, you, when did you find out that you were like, you had your first clear scan, is that, what the, is, that how mm. they, is that how it goes? Well, I guess I've always been clear since they removed the tumour from my leg. Okay. Because... That was where it was. But you're not considered cancer free and stuff like you're not considered in remission until you stop all of your treatments. Okay. So I stopped treatments as in immunotherapy in August of twenty sixteen. So that's why I'm only like four years cancer free. I mean only four years cancer free, four years is a long time. I know. But I would, Big up yourself, you've got... If, if we take it from the moment they removed it from my leg, it would have been five by now. Okay. So, that's good. Can we pause? Yeah. I need to drink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you got clear, so from there onwards. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I was going to say, I remember when uh, when you first walked in with crutches, mm -hmm. and I, like, the rest of us, I mean, I don't know if you knew at that point if it was cancer or not but obviously no one else at school did and I just I just I remember that moment like when we first saw you walk in like I, I had it in my mind when uh, we were waiting for the first bell to go and like we saw you walking in the crutches and like we were all asking oh what is it is that just something like a sprain or something mm. I think I remember you told us yeah yeah do you remember them getting us all they got you, you, I don't know if you were really in there, involved, no. but they got the girls separately, and yes, they got us Anna, separately, uh, and they brought the, the school psychologist, Super Mario, to oh, speak yeah. to us about Super this. Super Mario's yeah. Well. Yeah. And um, I think I told you about this, but they brought us all, and he was like, like, to try and... Treat you as we would, like, on a normal day. Yeah, to give us advice on how to deal with it, and how to treat you, how to, yeah, how to act towards you, and... And like he asked us how we 
um, how we felt about the news because I think we found out by then. Yeah. Oh yeah, by that time. I remember. I I think Aaron, you were like. Yeah. You you he asked Aaron, uh, how do you feel about this? Do you remember what you said? I just said you're angry. Yeah, he said he was angry. Yeah, I was angry um, because I think at the time my grandfather's going through cancer as well. And then oh, yeah, we were, yeah. My one as well. I think it was roughly around the same time. I was just a bit pissed because it's like... It was basically like, why do all the good people get the shit in life? And 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 I was... I can't even remember what the, what the people said because I was just so pissed and I was like so vexed. I can't remember what advice he gave me, but... I think I remember because he went around the room asking us. Because I think I said... Um, like, I don't know. Like, I, I don't feel anything. I, like, I didn't know how to respond to it. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, Yeah, and, he, and then he went, he said, like, you're all, there's, like, five stages to this. Mm. And you're all at, like, a different stage. And he was like, oh, the one is, like, denial. The other one is uh, uh, anger. And then he went on like that. Uh, yeah, that's how I remember it. Were you in that? Mm. I, I don't remember what they said, but... I was just like, I was, I was vexed. I'm like, why? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I rate, I rate the teachers for trying to. Yeah. I think I was good at them. But yeah. I think I also remember the first time we found out um, when that you had cancer. And I think, weirdly enough. How did you find out? I think we were at Jane's house. I think so as well. I think I remember something. Well, like you that. guys there as well. I think you might be. I can't remember if you. I wasn't there. I couldn't come. Yeah, we were. You got sent me a message. Yeah, we were having a sleepover at Jane's. I don't know how. There's no way I was there. I remember this. I think you were you there were, as well. And you and were you, you were invited to it. I was in I Germany. I think were you? Because mm. I I feel like I can't remember, but we all like the news came through the girls, and then the girls told us. Yeah. And that's how I remember. That's I think they told you after I left. I think I remember this. It was at night, like. It, it was at night, yeah. It was it was a rough one because like all of a sudden like, we were having a good time, we were we were drinking, yeah, we were playing like, games. Like the girls started crying. And then and then the girls song. went outside in the ball and we're like, "Where the girls girls?" We went and they tried not to tell us. I don't know if you don't know if you told them to keep them a secret or or whatever, but I can't remember who it was. They finally told us, and then it was just like, mm. sort of like denial, basically, like how what. Yeah. So now you like you've come out of this, shaped you, right? Yeah, definitely. Do you want to go through that? What's? Uh, well, I, th- I guess it's worth saying that I'm not really friends with any of those girls in there. Yeah. Um, apart from one, which was there for me to well, two actually, two of them. Uh, they were there for me through the whole time, and. I appreciate their friendship so, so, so much. Like, even though we're not close anymore, like, I always will, like, love them so much because they were the bestest friends a girl could have. Mm. Um, but then I guess you get, you see the real people. You see, you see who people really are. And someone, like, that I thought was, you know, my bestest friend in the whole world. And, uh, like, yeah, someone who I thought was my best friend wasn't there for me at all. So that was hard to go through as a 15-year-old. So I realised, like, 
some people are there for you really and some people aren't and that even if you have like two like a handful of people in your life then that's enough yeah everyone deals with it differently i guess i think it made me mature quicker because you do realize that as you grow older you realize like who's your friends it's not the majority it's you've got so like you've got a good bullshit meter as well Mm -hmm. I feel like so you can sense off the cuff as soon as you meet someone you'll be like he's full of shit she's full of shit I just stay away <laughs> I think, stay I think away from that person we've been lucky with that considering we pretty much stayed the same like yeah, as tight as we have been since mm -hmm. the beginning yeah. I guess the only one that straight away was Alex yeah yeah he was but the only even, one who... even when I was ill Alex was still really good about everything I remember he started a fight with someone because he said something about me really? Mm -hmm. Do you not remember that? No. I don't remember that. Like, because they were all planning to shave their heads for me. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And, he was, and he went, why would I shave my head for her? And they got into, like, a physical fight. Yeah, they we told us not to do it. Yeah, yeah we, we actually... Yeah. We, we all, they told we us all not to do it. it. Like, all the boys in the year, we got together and like, should we, like... We, we were already in all. And then, no, uh, no, Super Mario, the teacher, told us... Why would he say that? I would have loved that. He told us... told us to not treat it any differently. Yeah, because he... That was, like, his thought, main... He thought we would, like, like uh, it would be more of a reminder kind of thing. I kind of get it. Uh, it's, it's it obviously, he doesn't know... I don't know, I don't he know didn't, he was, doesn't know he doesn't you know how you are, yeah. but I think yeah, it, I it generally... We all wanted to, like, nice. say I know. I all knew about it, and I thought it was very sweet of you guys to all gesture for that i wouldn't have minded like it was definitely your choice but i don't think it would have been a bad like a reminder i was going through it man <laughs> yeah i think he wanted to yeah no that, like, i get the point i do get it to feel like normal around us and he thought it his wife went on the through person. that yeah his, his wife went through cancer actually so maybe it was was related because to that her. as well Probably. yeah Everyone's different fair enough then. no i don't blame like i don't blame him at all but like i wouldn't have minded worth it and I think just the just like the fact that you guys were willing to do that for me is really lovely as well. I mean, you were always. I mean, we said it earlier, but but before, during, and after, you were you were always like like a nice like a like a if if people nowadays they keep going on about negativity and positivity. If you wanted to feel guaranteed positivity, you always go to Georgia. Like you, she could like anything run right so you want to race her she will blitz you mate you you want to hear somebody like bang out a song oh georgia can you sing this oh yeah pipes like no one's <laughs> business um like smart yeah and then and then the thing is before during and after it's like this is this is why the whole year like our year has never been it's not usually united mm. it was pretty united in that moment yeah. It was the first time. Because then after that, we sort of had to... For things like the Greece trip and the Top Class mm -hmm. show. But of our, of our own volition, there was... I can't let no one not kind of that many people united. Especially on most of my... Well, it's tough. To be fair, though, like, as a year, we were all separate. But then when it mattered... Oh, yeah, we no. We all used to come yeah, together. Yeah, yeah. Somehow. Mm. Yeah, I always felt safe at school. Even like when I was ill, I never felt the need to, like, stay away from school, if that makes sense. I always wanted to go into school. 
bald head or not, I always wanted to come and see everyone because I knew that I wouldn't get any issues at all. And then you, you after so you when you you came into school with your bald head and then you finished, and your bald head start <laughs> stopped being bald. Yeah. You grew your hair out. Uh huh. And the curls. I was about to say. I was about to say. The curls were sick. Oh, they were so good. <laughs> I <love> the curls. <laughs> so great. Yeah. Oh. Really thanks, did. Guys. They really did suit you, huh? Sorry, continue. Uh no, I mean yeah, you and then. With everything that you learned, so you learned about who the real ones were. Yeah. And it also put you on a path. Mm. Or sort of um, gave you direction. And then you went from there. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. What's, how's that been since then to get, to get to where you are now? I think it showed me determination. But like, and resilience. Positivity, to keep positive, to get through anything. I wouldn't have been able to walk as quickly as I did if I wasn't so positive. Um, I actually, funnily enough, I got a really nice message from a girl going through the same thing as me at the moment. And she said how she's not able to walk yet. And like, I think... Not that I would say this to her, but I think a lot of it is the way you're thinking. And I don't blame her for thinking negatively. So yeah. negative, like it's a horrible situation to be in. Anybody would. Um, I think what made me walk, like learn to walk again so quickly was definitely my like positivity and determination in a way. Sure. I was determined to feel normal again. I wasn't ever thinking, well, I mean, of course I did think at times like, oh, what if I die? But I guess you can't plan for dying, but you can plan for your future. So that was, I think, what was keeping me going. Mentality is like 70% of anything you're going to do. Your mentality is like 70% of it. Because, like, for anything, like, for going through something like that, mm. or even, like, the smallest thing, like taking a test, if you're, the, the, your outlook on it can massively affect how it's gonna happen because um, there's also yeah. loads of examples of people who become paralyzed and they're told they're never gonna walk again and just from their sheer determination they start with <laughs> they start with one little toe wiggle they mm. get one little feeling in their toe because they always keep trying and trying yeah, and trying and then eventually they can run again I think it definitely has an effect on like well-being and I think that's the reason I didn't fall behind in school. It's the reason that I didn't go back a year. Which in hindsight, I probably should have. It would have made things a lot easier. But um, yeah. I think, again, I have this perfectionist trait, which most medics have. <laughs> that, like, I couldn't fall behind. And I needed to be normal. And I wanted to succeed and not be seen as... I know this is so stupid, but at the time, I just didn't want to be seen as a failure, mm-hmm. in a way, in my in my own eyes. Yeah. I wanted to be with my own year group, I wanted to graduate at the same time as you all. I didn't want to be with the younger year, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I, re- I remember when you came back and you started school normally again, mm. you, you were telling me about like how your 
doing all your studies and stuff and how you've got all the stuff from school and then you finish school and you do like GCSEs outside of school and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. I was like, how is she putting this off? I'm struggling here yeah. by myself and she's <laughs> trying to she's trying to catch up with what I've already done and do extra things and do the stuff we're doing. I was like, how is this is like another level? It's a lot of determination. I think well actually I did my GCSEs while still on chemotherapy. Yeah, you did. I and remember I did this. a full new curriculum. I did only two months of Scottish curriculum because that's where I did my like end of my treatment. So two months of school when I was able to go back because of immune system and everything. Um, so two months of school, two months of learning the curriculum. Um, I still managed to get all like well, not all, but five A's or four A's and B, whatever. Didn't get a single um, A. <laughs> 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 not a single A. You've got a couple of U's though. Yeah, I got a U. Did you get a U in GCSE? I got a U in art. You got a U in art? You know why? They what? wouldn't accept my, like, they didn't accept my mitigating circumstances. What? Because I only Jeez. had one book instead of two. Right. What bitch? Which I, I thought was stupid. It is stupid. So mean. No. The fuck? But, uh. Fuck, respect. Yeah, and then I went back into school and I was like, hmm, maybe I, mean, I like should do this bits. medicine thing. Medicine seems cool. We like being dicks and yeah, excelling them not. Universities too. Like, it wasn't only, the struggle didn't end there. Oh, yeah. Like, I had to do A levels, I had to do chemistry in a whole year, in just one year. Like, I had to do the AS, the, well, the GCSE, the AS, and the A level. Um, which are all owed to my amazing chemistry teacher, Dr. Dr. Monta. Big up. Um, and uh she's listening she's <laughs> <laughs> definitely listening well she's insane so everybody should know her name um and then it didn't stop there like some universities didn't want to hear from me because i only had five gcse's uh like i remember one particular university which was always my dream uni in scotland told me that i shouldn't apply because their application system was too competitive and that my mitigation wouldn't really do much for me. For dicks. So I had a choice of eight instead of, uh, instead of fifth, no, 42 universities. If I had a choice of eight, that would be So 42 universities that under normal circumstances people could apply to. So 42 medical schools. 34 said no. 34 said apply and see and i think Which that is, kind of meant you know, it's like yeah. like they weren't giving me the confirmation that my mitigating circumstances would be right. accepted they were the value as everyone else even though they should have because yeah which is why the university i'm at was the right choice for me they, they were one of the eight they were one of the eight and actually two of the eight were the top two medical schools in the country, which says something about the way the medical school application the, works. Like it's, attitude towards, you know. Like, I think they realise that intelligence isn't only from your grades, if that makes sense. Yeah. I feel, I think the, so all of the eight actually were in the top ten hmm. in the UK for medical school. So I guess it says something about yeah, why they are definitely. in the top 10 because they know what's intelligence and they know what is book smart. 
Bit of a tangent then. No, good tangent. Um, do you think this is your story? Do you think you'd have the same determination and willpower and, and passion for for striving for greatness, for striving for your goal if you had not gone through what you had went through? I've always been a perfectionist. So I think this is this sense seems like I've got a big ego, but I think whatever I would have done, I would have been determined to do well at it. But I think I wouldn't have been doing well at medicine if it weren't for me getting ill. Mm. I think it showed me a side of medicine that I would never have seen. Mm. Don't have any friends that friends' parents that were doctors. I would never have seen that side. Um like the side where you're actually helping people and using science in real life. Like I would never have gotten that work experience if I wasn't sick. Yeah. So I guess I'm using it to my advantage, although I'd never wish it upon anyone. Yeah. Definitely an inconvenience. Shut up. That's what I used to call it. You used to call it an inconvenience? This is just an inconvenience. <laughs> just shows the mindset. Yeah. Yeah. Just shows the mindset. Cancer? Inconvenience. It's such an inconvenience to life, it just... Yeah. Especially at like such a, like an age where you're trying to build something for your future and you're only given like five years in order to and in those five years you went you did the surgery the chemo the, the immune thing and those are your formative years as a, as a human yeah. really mm. when you're 15 you, you're just barely beginning to learn how life works mm-hmm. and that's when you're in you're in this state where you're absorbing everything you see yeah. and any little thing can change the direction you take and you had to deal with this monstrosity. On the bright side, chemotherapy meant I didn't have to go through uh, like the acne stuff because all my skin cells were dead. <laughs> I didn't go have to go through any of the awkward boy stage because I was just in hospital and I didn't give a shit about what anybody thought of me. Um, that's the MPV. I didn't have to go through the like. I don't know, going to a friend's house and getting drunk and embarrassing yourself because I didn't have a chance to do that. <laughs> no, 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 that's unfair. That was, same no, that time was, that was, Same time. <laughs> no, 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 no. Same time. <laughs> uh, I can't even. Yeah. yeah. That shows a lot about you. Yeah. The way you were thinking, the way you're seeing it now, it says a lot. Be proud. Yeah. Thank you. Cause I'm like such a pessimistic bastard. I think, <laughs> genuinely, like, it's it's inspiring to hear the way you think and the how how you always look at the positive. Because mm-hmm. as a person who's who's like the opposite, I always look at everything that's bad. I look at you know, and I sort of go down this rabbit hole. Yeah. It kind of gets worse and worse and worse, and it always end, ends up with me either giving up, losing all hope. Mm-hmm. And, which is wrong because you know life life isn't an easy thing. Everywhere you go, anything you do, there's going to be hardship. Some might be harder for others, but you've got to work through it. And it's really inspiring to hear you say, you know, how you dealt with it. Because I mean, you are very unlucky. Very. Very unlucky. To say the least. Yeah. I I don't know how else to put it. You're just very unlucky. You were given really bad hand, but you seem to 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 just push through it and come above and beyond whatever you whatever many could think is possible. 
So I, I really do. Yeah, I'm, I'm inspired, I'm not gonna lie. You said you were very pessimistic in general. Yeah, yeah. How has that like affected the way that you've dealt with illness? Whether it's yours or I think other it's, people's. I think it's because of the illness that I am pessimistic. Mm. Because both of my grandparents got cancer, both lung cancer, and I never really had a, a male role model, like a father figure growing up, and it all was always them. So for, for me to lose two grandparents in the space of five years from the same illness, I think that really played a role in me being pessimistic. And I'm I generally pessimistic in like a comedic context. context. So mm -hmm. I, I like I make jokes. Some some of them dark. Some of them a bit you know. Yeah, yeah. But there is the yeah sure. But there's always like an underlying, you know, truth in them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, I guess it's just who I am. I'm I'm always that person that sort of when there's a hurdle, instead of trying to overcome it, I'm like, choose the easy path and just give up. Knock it down. I don't knock it down. So no, I'm gonna go another way. Turn around. Mm. You used to be like that. I don't think you're like that anymore. I think I have We've spoken about this. Yeah, I have changed, but yeah. And um, for my for my second grandfather who got it, he, I was there when he passed away, and he had lung cancer. So he was he was struggling for the I think the last three days when he was living. He was always on an oxygen mask. And the nurses called us, and then like we think this is it. Within the next hour, he's gone. So they took off uh, the mask and like the image is never going to leave my brain like the, the whole thing is just him just gasping for air for like 20 minutes and then finally you just see his chest stop moving and that's it. It's, it's one of those things where, okay yes they were both smokers, heavy smokers so you kind of not expect it, but you know, you, you can't really be like, oh, why did it happen to him? Even though like it was from his own, you know, he was a person that, right, I'm going to have a whole packet today, I'm going to have two packets today. So I can't really blame anyone, but then, but I still feel like it's unfair for someone so good to be taken from this world. It's hard when you go through it when you're younger as well. So. Yeah, I felt the same way when like, my, my grandpa was going through the same thing. Like, I remember you came and told me that your, your grandpa got cancer and then like five days later I found out my one had cancer. And uh, I, when, when my one's on his uh, deathbed, I was at home and I was, um, I was just like exercising because I didn't know what to do. I was just like trying to out my like energy into something so I was just exercising like kicking a ball around for like two hours straight like just kicking a football on a wall and uh, they called me and they're like this is it this is like his last like hour or so and he's gonna probably go and I didn't want to I didn't want to see him because uh, I had already saw how he was and he was bad and I just I just didn't I couldn't handle seen my grandpa like that so i was like i don't want to i don't want to be there when he's like on the last like half an hour so i just don't want 
I just don't want to be a part of that. And I went after he passed away and saw him just lying there. Yeah, well, those images never leave your head. Mm -hmm. I remember mine. Mine mine died from a stroke. And the day it happened, I can't remember where I was or what I was doing. But for me, because he'd, he'd been in... I remember that. Um, the story. He'd been bedridden for a year, and it was always the the what I'd been told was he had an initially had a massive stroke, and then after that, when they when he was hospitalised, he had on several occasions mini strokes. Mm-hmm. So throughout the following year, again I can't remember what my mentality was, but I would. I would just wait for news and and um, at some point he was moved into a house over there uh, not far from here and uh, we were just looking after him here and it was even though even though there was a subtle um, no I'll, I'll phrase it differently there was no it was always it always felt inevitable because of how bad the the first one was and how how little signs there were of recovery. And so I think if I'm honest with myself, there came a point where I was like, it's gonna happen soon. Like he's, he's it's it's done. Like and, and it got to the point where I was feeling bad. I was like, he's not meant to be here anymore. We're just keeping him here. And then I remember I was I was playing outside, I was there, and somebody told me, go go to your uncle's house. Um and this is this is probably like they gave him his last rites or however it however it is, like they brought a priest. And uh, they gave him his last rites. And I went and I remember I remember seeing all I remember seeing is just um after like after he passed i remember seeing his body and you know you never forget you never forget what that looks like and they gave me um everybody got went up to him and gave him a kiss and we left and they gave me his cross and um and that's all i remember and it was it was it was surreal just well, no, knowing that this is 13 huh that's a big I was I was 13 it was July of 2013 so I was 13 going on no I was I was 13 Um, and it was just I remember I left I was in a state of shock myself personally and I I didn't I hadn't I wasn't able to process what was going on it was only when I saw my dad burst into tears where it really hit me Mm. and yeah it was De- dealing with things like that, I mean, just we, and we're not the ones dealing with it, which is. I think it's worse. It, you think so? Hmm. I think seeing someone you love go through something so hard is definitely. Well, you know, it depends on the person, but I think. My mum has powerless more, to it. Like yeah, you. I think my mum definitely has more trauma than the experience from me having cancer than me. She can't even watch a TV show that's got anything to do with cancer or hospitals. Jeez. Can't do it. 
Or if I if an advert for cancer research comes up on the TV, she's got to mute it or change it over. Whereas I've literally threw myself into getting over it. Medicine mm-hmm. and um, I think the trauma has stayed with my mum more than me, which is why I think that sometimes watching someone you love go through something so hard it can be more difficult in a sense, in my personal experience. Yeah. One one thing that I learned from from this, I didn't learn, it's just so for my first grandfather, they didn't really operate because they said like from the beginning, you know, stage four, there's nothing we can do. Like we could mm-hmm. do chemotherapy, but it's not going to work. We could remove part of his lung, but it's not going to do anything. So our aim is just to make him as comfortable as possible. So they pump it with morphine. Mm-hmm. And anyway, he, he passed. But then for my second grandfather, they were giving me hope. I kind of wish they didn't do that. Because mm-hmm. cause first started chemotherapy and then they were coming back and say, oh, it's gone down by this much. I'm like, great, okay. And then two months later, I go back and says, oh, but it's come back. I'm like, okay, so what are we going to do? So we do more extensive, so do radio and chemotherapy. I'm like, okay, it's mm-hmm. fine, great. It shrunk and then they said, okay, it shrunk to a point where we feel like if we remove part of the lung, it'd be okay. So I'm like, great, okay. Oh, I remember this. They removed part of the lung, a massive scar in the back. Uh, Part of the lung, he really struggled with one lung because he was, he was seventy something years old. And he still did all that. Yeah, he still did all that. It was. Was with, that his choice or? The doctors advised him. And that's that's what I didn't. And and my, my grandfather being old fashioned in the sense that you know he's a doctor, you know he's 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 gone to university, he knows what he's talking about. I respect uh, him and his profession. You know, I'm gonna do it. They did that and, and he really struggled with one lung and even that lung he had, you know, four years of smoking wasn't wasn't that well. Mm. So after that he did scans and it was okay, but then they did a special, I don't know if it's a CAT scan or something, for the bones. Yeah, CAT scan. And they found that it had moved to the bones. Mm. And apparently if it moves to the bones, there's, mm. there's nothing you can do. So I had like like a half a year or like a, a year of just like giving me a false hope and you know, we're doing stuff, we're doing stuff, unlike my first grandfather, for the results to just be the same. And, and it sort of give, it gave me like a really bad image for hospitals and for doctors and nurses in general. I mean, I shouldn't really do that because each, each person is, is different in how they examine someone and how they treat someone. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was, I felt like it wasn't easy to blame the doctors. But you know what? I think this proves a point that we were talking about earlier, how the way a doctor acts, and you see them, you as a person, see them act, changes your view about medical professionals in general. Yeah. You know? Which is why I think, as like what I was saying before, it's like if you do something in particular in public and patient sees that, that changes their perception of that doctor. It's mm. the same concept of the, you saw doctors treat your granddad not in his 
like I don't think it was in the beneficence of the patient. I don't think it seemed like it was like in the best interests. And, yeah. and like now you've got a weird like not a weird view but like a more of a negative view yeah. about healthcare. Yeah. I think I've I've gotten better. But it's still there. It's like a lingering mm-hmm. thought at the back of my head. And whenever I go to doctors, I've always got that. Okay, he's telling he's telling either me or my mom or someone. Okay, this is the best treatment to go. But then, is it really? So then, I find myself you know yeah. searching online, and I'm like, oh, but Google says this. But then, mm-hmm. who the fuck's Google? What's Google's medical degree? Whereas someone <laughs> who's been in the field of medicine for twenty odd years. Which is why we're literally taught from the beginning. The day one of med school, at least at my university, that like patient-doctor relationship is the most important part yeah. of being a doctor. Yeah, I mean, if you can't trust your doctor, then whatever he tells you is... is yeah. I actually had an experience like that in general. Like, um, My doctor in Cyprus didn't tell me that there was immunotherapy available for me. Really? Yeah, because it wasn't in his protocol. Even though he knows that I'm a British citizen, he knew that I could go to the UK, he knew that it increases your survival, so I would have, like, I went from having 30% chance of living to 40, which is a lot. And he still didn't find it for me. Like, he didn't, not find it, he knew about it. He just didn't, he just didn't care. Like, as in, he just didn't bother telling us because his plan was the number one plan oh. and my dad found that immunotherapy and confronted him and he said yeah i knew about it oh wow he was on a point but of it's not on my pro- it's not on my protocol oh wow Jeez. how would you as, as somebody you're just starting on this medical medical yeah. medical path I don't know if, if you if you would you would you how would if you could change the system um, yeah. to, in to in Cyprus in the system as you know it in right. ge- like general like it could be in the UK to prevent things like like breakdown of, of patient doctor relationships or or how how doctors see their patients mm. if you could change it what would you what would you I think it's all in medical education so. Like me and my cohort of um, of peers in medical school, I think we have a definitely have a different different view of looking at patient than maybe a fifty year old or sixty year old doctor that was that went to med school forty years ago, mm. um, and I think it is changing, and I think there's so many good doctors in Cyprus. It's not that all of them are terrible. I just think that the way they've been taught. For so outdated. long has been really outdated and paternalistic like i said before whereas i think in most medical schools in the world and um, especially in the uk which like i haven't really had that many bad experiences in the uk apart from like timing and the pressure that's put on the nhs causes all those problems to happen in my opinion so i don't think it's the doctors themselves um but well not most of the time anyway but like in Cyprus, I think it's definitely a, a case of medical education and doctors not re-educating themselves with protocol 
that has been introduced. Like as a doctor, you say that you've got a lifetime of learning ahead of you. You don't stop just because you finished med school. Like if you're, if you're an, if you're a, I don't know, gynecologist, and um, the protocol for cysts, like ovarian cysts, probably isn't the same as ovarian cysts five years ago. Like the way that you diagnose it, the way that you find them, what you do when you find, like your management, and like you've just got to, no matter what you are, you've got to keep updated with it. Mm. Um. So I think in case of your granddad, maybe I don't know. I'm not. I don't want to assume anything, but maybe that doctor didn't keep up to date with it. Same as my doctor, he didn't maybe, keep up to date with the protocol. He didn't advocate maybe. for the government to bring that medication here. Each doctor could probably learn something new from each patient, like yeah. individually. Like your doctor, who didn't recommend it to you, mm. maybe if he was a good doctor, even though he didn't recommend it to you, then maybe next time it was in his back of his mind to say, actually, this is also a possibility for you if you. I know for a fact it isn't. I'm saying if he was a good doctor, that's that's what should happen. Yeah, right. yeah, definitely. Right. Patient and like patients teach you so much as a person. I kind of have a feeling that, you know, this doc, I don't know his name, but working like in the oncology department, very rarely do you have, you have like a very bad success rate, I'm guessing. So, oh, so okay, like, yeah. do you know what I mean? So if the, the chances are you getting lung cancer and you sort of beating it, Especially if like most of the people in Cyprus are, are old pensioners who've mm. been smoking their whole lives, it's not like the chances of them beating it is very low. Maybe because he's 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 seen so many people, like he's tried to help, and he's and he's tried giving them, you know, he's tried his best, but now he's sort of numb to the to the whole thing where he doesn't have feelings with mm. the patient that he just sort of now robotically being okay this is what we're going to do statistically we're going to we're going to attack it with cancer then we're going to remove part of the lung and then attack it with cancer again and there and then that statistically i don't know if it should be the best yeah. route do we think that's the best route do i think oh uh i don't know the protocol for lung cancer i don't know what the nhs like nice guidelines recommend but all I know is that when you're thinking about treating a patient with chemotherapy, you've got to think about their quality of life and whether statistically it will help. So it's subjective as well. It is. You treat every patient differently. Yeah. Like, no person's statistic, like, nobody's a statistic. Yeah. You know? I feel like that's it how it should be. It should be based case by case basis, not on what. As in, obviously, you use evidence-based medicine. So if you see that this immunotherapy that I've got works in um, patients with osteosarcoma between the ages of 26 and well, 16 and 26, then you're going to give that to your patient because if you believe it has a benefit to them, you're going to do it. But if statistically you realise that people over the age of 70 getting chemotherapy don't do well in terms of... Um, like it doesn't help their cancer and it doesn't help their quality of life then I think you've just got to pick like obviously not every 70 year old is the same yeah. but you've got to do it on a case by case basis mm. uh, I don't know 
option. Should give everyone be given the option? Of course. Advice. They should be told all the options available. And that's the part, that's why, that's what a patient-doctor relationship is. You tell them the options that they've got. You, and if they ask you what they think is best, you tell them what's best. Or what you think would be best for them, personally. And then you work from there. If it doesn't seem to be working, the patient's allowed to say, I don't like this. And you try and figure out a new management plan. Yeah, but in reality, does that happen? Depends on depends the where you are. Yeah, that's true. Depends on the doctor, depends who yeah. you are, depends where you are. I feel like something like an American healthcare system is what makes the most money, not what's better for the patient. Mm. Whereas the NHS, because it's not privatised, it would be how can we help the person first. You see it a lot in Cyprus though. Yeah, but Cy like. And that's what I like, realised from divide, private. I've seen that they might make you do unnecessary things. Yeah. Yeah. It's not private anymore. When yeah. it was. Um, that's hard. Because there are good, really good doctors here. I'm not I'm saying that. I know, I know, I know. I'm just saying that maybe they'll... I'll do one of these as well. I think, like, it's hard to start, like, put everybody into a category, you know? Like, I think, yeah, maybe there are some doctors that do that. And maybe some of the doctors in America do that. And that it's very publicised because it's, you know, controversial. Uh, but I don't think it's as black and white as... No, it's broken down to the individual. Yeah. Do you think the medical system, the medical educational system, does a good job of filtering out people who are unsuited to doing this profession? Because we've devolved into a situation or into a conversation where we have good doctors and bad doctors. Do you think it does a good job of filtering out people so there's as little bad doctors as possible? I don't know what a bad doctor yeah, is. Yeah, it's subjective. Isn't it? Yeah, but like they might be great in school and then just not be good at their job after or something. Or well, they might go through something personally that affects the way they treat patients. You know, it's all... Or they might be great with one, bad with another. Yeah, that's true. It's also what your definition is of a bad doctor. Some patients may want to be told what to do. Like, they may want to just be like, just do what you think is best for me. I'm like that with doctors. Yeah, I think I'll probably doctor be tells like me that. do this, I'm like, okay, you said do that, I'm going to do that. What kind of doctor do you want to be, G? What do you mean? Well, what, like, what specialisation are you looking at and what... What would you like your your patients to think of you as? Like, Pink doctor is a given. I like surgery. Way. Yeah. Definitely. I love anatomy. I know, it sounds weird. Blood. And Blood. Let me write Blood. <laughs> Blood. Like dissection and dissecting bodies. <laughs> um, I found it really fascinating, really helpful. I'm a very visual person. I like to see results, not wait for a medication to give them. Okay. Uh, although medications can be great, like I'm not saying that it's not yeah, this is good just treatment, personally. I'm just saying that uh, personally, like... You want to cut people open. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to help people if that helps. <laughs> <laughs> if that helps people, then yeah, sure. <laughs> slice, slice. Like um, having a fish as a doctor. 
Ew. A fetish for what? Let's no, like not having talk a fetish for cutting people open. Don't so go was, there. Wasn't that like a Brooklyn Nine Nine episode? You could be, you could have a fetish for cutting people open. I think and it you was. Make something productive out of it. I say. Having a surgeon and doing it productively. Matt cannot go in. <laughs> oh, it's going in. It's, of course it is. Welcome to not even being serious. Oh, Carol. It's possible. No, everything's possible. Like people nowadays. I don't think. Stereotypically in media. People, the, in when when you go to like the cop shows or the medical shows where they have um, where they have morgues and the yeah. people who are dealing with the dead bodies, like they always they always typecast them as somebody a bit weird with a little like. Oh, do you know like what? They, Bad boys too seen now. When in my head, I am not sure. I'm sure that's not true. Pretty. I don't sure think it's true. true. I don't think it's true. But I'm saying it's not outside the realm of possibility well, it's just, it's just, for people to have fetishes. If someone has that sort of fetish, they're usually a murderer. But what if they have a really like yeah, good moral think, compass? I don't think we can call it a fetish then. They just like what they like. So they like... It's a fetish. Like Georgia, you're not going to say... She, she likes surgeries. She no, likes surgeries. Does that mean she has a fetish for cutting That's different. different. That's different. She doesn't get pleasure from the actual cutting up of a person. Uh, do you? <laughs> machine it's a robot with uh, little probes and you control it from an outsider's point and you control the robot and what it does um, and it's essentially just allows for like minimally invasive surgery anyway there's lots of there's lo- the list of things to do with medical technology is endless like you know it can be anything even an inhaler okay. um, yeah I find it really interesting because I did 
a few like extra projects like you choose what you want to talk about and in the first year I did like a treatment for brain cancer and uh, and then in second year I did 3D bioprinting which is when you print cells like stem cells and then you give them growth factors and they grow into I say grow not the right word they change into cells you want them to change into we did that in biology yeah stem cells so yeah. um like they subsec they've successfully done skin well nearly but like they've made pieces of skin from, from cells, stem cells stem cells that you get from fat in your in your like tummy area they've changed them anyway but I, that's off on a tangent but like yeah that got me interested and now i'm um on the committee for the medical technology society oh, cool. at university and i learned to code Gumbado failed, but Gumbado failed, but you know what? I still always went back to it, you know. <laughs> Gumbado died so med tech could walk. Uh. So what about chronoscopies? Wow. <laughs> why? Oh, that's med tech. Just taking a camera. Yeah, it is. Awesome. But like, why is chronoscopies? Have you got any specific interest or? Um, not uh, fetish. Personally, not personally. Uh, yeah. Just, we'll, just spiritually. Just. Spiritually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Then, medicine's made like having cancer has made me a better doctor. Uh, seen it through, seen healthcare through the eyes of a patient. And now through the eyes of someone on the other side, um, and uh, I think it's made me deal with things differently than someone else might deal with it. Made me a lot more sympathetic. They made me think of each patient as an individual, not just someone in front of me and a set of symptoms. And I think everybody deals with things differently. There we go. Thank you for listening. No one's listening. There you go. Thanks for coming, G. We no appreciate your heroic behaviours. Anybody want to add anything else? I feel else? like it was like a like a biography more than a discussion, but you know. It was interesting. I thought I learned things. Next time we have a discussion, you want to.